0: This is Libraries Beyond the Bookshelf, a joint venture between the Anamosa Library and Learning Center and the Columbus Junction Public Library.
1: Hello! I would like to say hello because it's been so long. Hello, hello! 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 (laughs) I would like to say welcome to Libraries Beyond the Bookshelf. Uh, It is me, Erin. And I'm Mandy. We're back together again in a Beyond the Bookshelf podcast. It just looks a little bit different. And why does it look a little bit different, Erin? Oh, well, it looks a little bit different because I had the audacity to move. So we have to do a little bit different recording style. Did anyone just hear that big
0: sigh where I was like, (sighs) like overly (laughs) dramatically, like the audacity right now, ma'am. It's all right. Oh, goodness. But you've been at your new library, which is?
1: So I'm now the library director at Anamosa Library and Learning Center. I've been here for about a year now. Um... March was my year mark, and we took a little break on the podcast because I had started a new job, and it wasn't necessarily that I was uh, overwhelmed, but it was just hard to add podcast to already a new job, so Mandy was kind enough to wait on me. But we are
0: now back, so Mandy, for our newer listeners, introduce who you are. I am Mandy. I'm the director at the Columbus Junction Public Library in rural southeast Iowa. Um, that, That's it that's all i do i love
1: how you have like <laughs> but you have such a snappy like hello my name is mandy i work at columbus junction public library and it's in southeast iowa like rural southeast iowa like you've got the whole spiel i'm still trying to remember like like the letters you know what i mean because it's like well okay but yeah, in I animals there's like an llc yeah or uh lcc and then there's A L L C and then there's like another it's a lot It's a lot of letters. There's a lot of
0: acronyms happening in Animosa. It sounds like, yeah. Well, it's a lot of issues. I'm I'm just plain old boring Columbus Junction Public Library. So, (laughs) but I love that you guys are like the library and learning center. I think that's a really cool way of describing how libraries are are places of lifelong learning. Um, and I love to hear that reflected in your name. That's really cool. I love that. We, it's been a long time since we've talked books. So tell me what it is that you're reading right now. Okay, I always hate when you make me go
1: first talking about books because I read like a little goblin or like a little gremlin and you read in this like coherent, like normal way. Uh, You're shaking your head, but okay, so I'm actually going to talk about two books today. Do you want me to talk about them both, like one, two? Or do you want me to talk about my actual recommendation I was supposed to do for the podcast? We talk about your actual recommendation and then we do our two bonus ones because we don't know how to stick to a list.
0: Let's go back and forth. That's a great idea. Start with your actual recommendation. It's not that the other one isn't a recommendation. It's just, you
1: know, we came up with this list. It's supposed to be a short episode. I was supposed to stick to one book, and I didn't. But the first book that came to mind when I heard this question was A Dowry of Blood by T.S. Gibson. Um, I actually talked about this book on the CJPL's Beyond the Bookshelf podcast about a year and a half ago of books that I wanted to read coming up. I got my hands on it. I don't want to lie to you. It was phenomenal. So basically, the premise of the book is it's a Dracula story. So it's a vampire story. Basically, the premise of the book is it's told from a first person perspective. And it's Constantina, one of Dracula's wives, actually his first wife. So we meet Dracula. And we see this girl who's dying. And he comes along and he offers to save her if she'll be his companion. And She thinks, well, I don't want to die, so sure, let's do it. What's the worst that can happen? And she gets whisked away to this castle, and he's smart, and he thinks that she's amazing, and hangs on her every word, and he's obsessed with her, and she can't help but love it. But then after a couple years, she sees that his obsession kind of wanes, and he is doing other things, and he keeps getting these letters, and stuff is weird, and then she goes to a party and it's it's a work party. It's a work party. It's a person that he's been talking to in letters, you know, intellectually kind of thing. So he goes, they go to like Italy or something like that in like the 1400s or something fun. And there's this woman there who's really vibrant and who's really smart and charismatic. And the main character is finding that she's very, very drawn to this person, but also that Dracula is very drawn to this person as well. And that's so frustrating because she wants to keep him for herself while also acknowledging that she absolutely has like physical feelings towards this person but the longer she talks to this person the more that it might just go beyond physical and as we delve into relationships with others while they're in a relationship because as we know dracula has several wives like that's just canon for the book i'm not spoiling anything like dracula in the canon series has three wives um It's not quite how it goes in the book, but he is, he does have multiple spouses, I will say. So it's, it's interesting to see how the relationship with each other would go, but also how Dracula was able to pull them in and keep them in and how maybe this wasn't, maybe obsession isn't a good start for love and a relationship and maybe obsession is unhealthy. I also want to point out the book is written... When I say like poetry, I don't mean that it's actually written in stanza or anything like that, but it's just such beautiful writing. Like, it's genuinely beautiful writing. Like, think, like, the Romantic era writing. It's so good, Mandy. I could not put it down.
0: Okay, so I had forgotten that you had talked about this one, and now I am... I just went on Libby and they only have it in audiobook form, which your girl here is definitely not an audiobook kind of girl, but I'm going to add it to my to-be-read pile because um, I had forgotten just how good it sounds.
1: Oh, Mandy, if you want to read it, I think this is a little quick plug for library services. The Anamosa Library and Learning Center physically owns the book, so you could always interlibrary loan it for free because Iowa libraries offer that service.
0: Done. Okay. So there you go. I'm not going to have to worry about getting it myself. I'm going to request it from Animosa, And I love this. So I am going to talk about a book that I'm not done reading yet. So our book club read The Lost Apothecary by Sarah Penner. And it was okay. I really liked this book. I like books with multiple narrators. I don't mind if it shifts through time. There were definitely certain pieces of the book that I would have loved a little bit more of, but I felt like it was a very cohesive, wonderful book. I I really enjoyed it. But her newest book is called The London Seance Society. And Erin, when I tell you this book has all of the things that you want it has ghosts it has spiritualism it has seances it has secret societies it has murder it has morally gray characters that you're just not a hundred percent certain of but also it's very interesting how it gets done so you start in like February of 1873 and then the first time you meet the second narrator, it's January of that year. So you're going back in time and you bounce back and forth to where things are at now versus how they started like a month and a half ago. So you know things and then you go back and then you're like, but wait, I don't know if I can trust this person. I don't know if this person is on the up and up. I don't understand if I even like this character at this point. And when I tell you, I'm probably not quite at the halfway point, but if it can deliver what it has delivered in the first half, I can safely say it will be one of my top five books of the year. Because you know how much I love all of that gothic, but also there's like a patriarchal thing because guess who's in the secret society? Only men. Guess who's starting to claim that fraudulent seances are happening? Men are claiming this and it's women that are doing it. Anyway... If it delivers the way it has for the last half of the book, hands down, going to be one of my favorite reads of the year. So good.
1: I am so excited by this because I've always been, like, fascinated, like you, I've always been fascinated with the idea of, like, séances and how its response to, like, World War One and great tragedy and everything like that came about and the idea of patriarchy and how séances kind of became a female-centered thing eventually because it was, like, women who were like, okay, I'm left behind, what do I do? So it's interesting that it focuses on the male aspect of séances when I'm so used to seeing the dismissive female point of view does that make sense
0: yes so the biggest piece of it is our female seance spiritualist person only does seances for people who've been murdered in the location (gasps) where they were murdered to get information about their murder because the police can't solve it so good but also like vibes alone it is every gothic thing that you could ever possibly want
1: I adore this. I think this is phenomenal.
0: (laughs) Thoroughly enjoying it. Like kind of irritated that I have to be at work today and I can't just be at home reading this book because it's so good.
1: I came into work the other day and I was very proud of myself for coming into my job, you know, like I normally do and I should do because I'm paid (laughs) to do so. But I came into work the other day with my book at 99%. I physically could not wait anymore like I had to like drive and everything like that and I was like look at me I'm being a responsible adult because I could have finished that one percent and I got to work and I mentioned this to my staff and they're like you're gonna finish it over your lunch or whatever right and I'm like no no I've got things to do during lunch it's fine and they're like okay so you're gonna finish this and so I went to finish it so I literally obviously this is visual so it's not great for the podcast but I literally did it and like I swiped from the bottom of my palm to the top of my fingertips and it was done. It was like a paragraph and a half. I should have just been late.
0: You should have just been late. I feel like working in a library, like illness, sickness, doctor's appointments. I need to stay home and finish my book. I have 10 pages left. Like those are valid reasons for not being at work. But PSA, none of us do this. But we all think about our books (laughs) while we're at work. It's fine. And then we finish them at lunch. Tell me about your other books. Okay, okay. Um, so, okay.
1: So these episodes are supposed to be fairly brief.
0: How's that working out for us right now?
1: Uh, we're both chatties, so. Uh-huh. <laughs> but in in the interest of being brief, I will try okay. not to go into this one too much. So this is my secondary one that like I couldn't quite let go of when you asked me what's my favorite thing I've been reading recently. Mm-hmm this book is called curse of shadows and thorns by lj andrews so it's a fantasy magic it is so good so it's actually a three book series i saw it on tiktok and i'm like oh i don't know it's one of those where it's like the villain sees blah 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 and the heroine goes blah and the villain goes oh no but i cared kind of thing and i'm like oh well uh okay yeah obviously i'm gonna read it but like oh anyway
0: It's one of those TikToks where you're like, this interaction was delightful and hit all the right points for me, but I'm going to go and read the book. And now I'm terrified that it's not going to hit in any other way outside of that.
1: Exactly. This one hit. So it's a fantasy world. You get a little bit of aristocracy or like, yeah, aristocracy, royalty and whatnot, but you don't Get like the main aristocracy, you're kind of getting like a side. So you're seeing how that interacts, but they still have the freedom to actually have characters outside of aristocracy in this fantasy world, which really creates a cohesive world instead of just like a snippet of it. It's a three book series, it's actually a six book series, but the next three books follow another character that's introduced in the third book. It's dark, but not in a oh no, I'm gonna have nightmares kind of way, but in a dark, like. I don't know what I would do in that situation like I would really have to test myself and figure out like what are my boundaries <laughs> like Yes, I love someone, but what am I willing to do kind of thing. It's so good. I love fantasy. I love magic. It's got a little bit of romance. It has romance, but I wouldn't say the romance is overwhelming. It's very good. I recommend it to anyone.
0: I love this. So my book that comes in like a close second, because I cannot stop thinking about this book, is The Second Mrs. Astor by Shanna Abe. So John Jacob Astor IV was a captain in the Spanish-American War, had gotten one of like the first extremely public divorces and was much, much older than Madeline Force, who he married and was the second Mrs. Astor. She was 17 at the time they met, and he had a son older than her, like a son that should have been of like that courtship age. And so the book is told partially, it's like the chapters themselves are like the story of how they met and how they fell in love and society's response to their love. It was fine that he'd been divorced, and it was fine that they didn't live together anymore, but it was not fine that he was getting remarried. And it was certainly not fine that he was marrying someone half of his age, but mostly it was not fine that he was marrying an upstart's daughter, not actual moneyed people. So you 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 get the chapters told of their story from start to finish. But at the beginning of every single chapter, you get a letter that she has written to their unborn son. Because as we all know, John Jacob Astor IV died in the sinking of the Titanic. Madeline Force Astor did not. And she was pregnant at the time that the Titanic Sink. And so essentially, by the time you get to the end of the book, you realize where her headspace is writing these letters to their unborn child, avoiding all of the publicity, all of the BS, all of the everything that followed her after the Titanic sinking. Granted, this is historical fiction, so some of it is made up, but a lot of it has, I mean, there's like newspaper clippings. There's so much, there was so much interest in Aster and Madeline that like the, the treasure trove of factual information has been woven through this whole entire narrative. And the thing that I just keep wondering at the end of the book, I don't know if she actually loved him. I don't know if she was in love with him. I don't know if she thought it was all worth it. It is fascinating to me because, like, here's this young woman. She is engaged to him before she ever even turns 18. She never has a proper coming out. She never has really an opportunity to spend much time with young men her age because he comes swooping in and is like, I'm interested. And everyone else is like, no, 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 back off. He's an aster. And her mother's like, oh, my God, he's an aster. And her dad's like, oh, my God, he's an aster. And her sister's like, oh, my God, he's an aster. Like, go for it. This is amazing. (laughs) But then there's all of this pressure. And the whole reason that they were abroad is because the whole of New York society shunned her. They would not come to... His standard Christmas party, they they would not do any of the things to show support for their wedding. And so she slowly sank, I I feel like, into a depression. It talks a lot about the unsinkable Molly Brown and their friendship that was more than just because they were both survivors of the Titanic. But I'm still left with, I know she knows that their love was worth it because she has this beautiful child. But I don't know, truthfully how she actually felt about Aster, he was effusive. I still have no idea. And the way that she was vilified as a young, underage woman, it's one of those books that I found in the middle of the night on Libby. It was available right away. And it sucked me in and I still like, I'm I'm like five books out from having read that one. And it's still sitting there. And I'm like, that poor woman, her whole entire life was a shell of what it could have been. Because a powerful, rich man decided, I want that. And I don't give a damn about the consequences. And I just think her life could have been so much different had he not. But I don't know if she would have wanted that. You know what I mean? Like, there's just so much about it that just sits in your brain and simmers and stews. And it, it's just fascinating.
1: I love that the thing that's percolating with you is, like, is this something that if she could do over again, would she? Obviously, she ends up with her child. And, like, you know, that's that's important to her. Her child is important to her. Um, but that's something that is obviously very important to her and if she didn't go through these experiences she wouldn't have them but would she have had a different life different children and i'm sure those regrets are something that like or those thoughts are something that she had as well and she has to figure out if the regrets are not
0: as you see this whirlwind sweeping her up there's never an opportunity and there is never anyone i mean they really placed her once they realized that aster was interested in her Her family ensured that he had access to her and that, but you know, like they would make sure that like they accepted this invitation because Aster was going to be there and they made sure that they denied that invitation because, well, this boy is acting too fresh and we really want Aster. You know what I mean? She was used as a pawn. And so then later in life, you see her retreating from all of the things he had promised her this life of luxury, this life of being the social I'm the Mrs. Astor and she got to choose her piece and I did love that because I don't think that we talk about sometimes enough that choosing our piece is sometimes that's the most powerful thing that we can do that means more than all the money in the world and all of the social stability and social street cred and all that kind of stuff all of that stuff means nothing if it does not b- bring us peace. And so you finally got to see her make her own choices. When I thought about Madeline Force Astor as a person, I'm like, dang, she got it all. But when you read this and and you know that it's been drawn from actual historical fact, with some liberties taken in there, I'm thinking there's no way. There is no way I would ever, ever, ever want to trade shoes and live a day in her life because not i mean it's it is a classic case of money doesn't buy sense and money doesn't buy you friends and it doesn't buy you societal placement and it does not bring you peace you might not have to worry about some things but you have to worry about a whole lot of other things it's wild and I mean, again, I don't feel like any of this is spoiler stuff because like we all have like a basic reference. And if I were to say, oh, yeah, remember John Jacob Astor and Madeline Force, they were on Titanic. It's not like anyone doesn't know. But it definitely this book is definitely more of a study of in compassion around a woman who had zero choices. OK,
1: I've never seen Titanic.
0: <laughs> that's your homework. Go watch Titanic.
1: OK, that's fair. I could not. I had it on VHS. I always intended to watch it, but like, I can never get the VHS player and the tape at the same time, you know? So this is. It's also three hours.
0: It is also three hours. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us on this very first podcast of Libraries Beyond the Bookshelf. We're so glad that we can continue to do the podcast together, even though we're however far apart now. Anyway, miles, miles apart, but not in our hearts. Oh, shucks. Shucks. Anyway, we'll see you next time on the Libraries Beyond the Bookshelf podcast. (laughs) Bye, guys. And now for your listening pleasure, noise and nonsense or as we like to call it, the tangents that we took out of the actual podcast so that we sounded like we were professionals that could have a conversation about books for 20 minutes without going down a series of rabbit holes and tangents. Enjoy.
1: Like, I know that I'm just bouncing around here highly caffeinated, but I do take a (laughs) peek at it occasionally.
0: I know I'm bouncing around here highly caffeinated. (gasps) Ma'am. Ooh, okay. So... One of my favorite things to do while I read a book is to drink a cup of tea or this morning is Diet Coke because we're recording at nine a m because welcome to life. This is when we can this is when we can fit it into our day. not maybe always the best time for our brains to be functioning. But anyway, so for my birthday, my bestie got me a subscription to sips, which is like a um, It's like a tea subscription box, but it's like you go in and say like, these are my favorite kinds of tea. And yes, I want caffeinated ones or no, I don't want caffeinated ones or I'd like to try matcha, but maybe anyway, whatever. So I got my very first one there. I said, yeah, sure. Send me caffeinated teas. And so I had one of them while I was here at work and that was a mistake. (laughs) That was an absolute mistake. I mean, I got a lot done a lot done. But my brain was going in ways that I like I was eating colors that day. It was a fantastic and I loved every minute of it. And so when I'm done here, I'm gonna have to see if I left those tea bags here. um, And I will send you a picture of it because it was it was it was really good. Like it tasted really good. But also like the kick of caffeine was delightful. It was fantastic. I loved it. I also love when I can taste colors because it just makes life so much better.
1: Well, and you're already sensitive to caffeine, too, because <laughs> you don't consume it like it's water.
0: It's true. Um, I was also the kid that um, would take Benadryl in college to stay awake because Benadryl would keep me awake and no dose would put me to sleep. So um I've always had sort of a an awkward way of like an awkward relationship with caffeine. So when that one happened, like I was not I was just not prepared for that. But shout out to the bestie who was like, my my friend needs this tea thing, and she was not wrong. And shout out to the sips people who were like this chick wants caffeine, we'll show her caffeine. And I was like, Yes, this is what I'm here for. This is what I signed up for. Yes.
1: Yes. <laughs> Good.
0: Anyway, I have not had any of that this morning. Just a little bit of Diet Coke. My my usual welcome to the day caffeine.
1: I had coffee this morning and it was really interesting cause um Paul's been Paul, my boyfriend, has been trying to convince me that it's okay to let him set the timer to start the coffee and that's why he originally got one with a timer on it and i'm like no but sometimes like i go in early or whatever and then it gets wonky and he's like well if you could just push the button if you're gonna go in early and i'm like well yeah that's true but like what if it gets really messed up and something happens and i don't get my coffee and he's like then you take a caffeinated water and i'm like okay but like i don't know it seems like a, a nah and so for like five seven months seven or eight i haven't been letting him set a timer for my coffee and i've just been starting it every morning and it's been like such a struggle because like i'll be getting ready and i be like, i gotta go in 20 minutes holy oh so then i have to run to the kitchen and start the thing and then that's me moving very quickly in the morning so the cat's gonna attack me and it's like a whole thing and it's like five minutes of my morning that's very stressful and i said i had to go in early this morning and he's like i'm just setting a timer i'm setting a timer do what you will i'm setting a timer and this is what i'm setting it for and it was super nice i had my coffee done it was like yeah it was
0: good I really liked it. So wait, 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 wait. We're acknowledging that Paul's timer was a rock star idea and it worked. Yeah. I love Paul and the coffee timer stories. This poor man has been trying to convince you of this for a solid year. He specifically bought you the coffee pot that has the timer. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This is the best ever. Paul, you're a rock star. You're amazing. And I thoroughly appreciate that you have stuck with this conversation for a solid year. This is the best. (laughs) I I mean, mean, I need a minute to recover from this.
1: Anyone else would have been like, if you want to be dumb, be dumb. That's fine. I'm not helping you. But he's been very consistent with it. And I super appreciate it. Um, I apparently like to micromanage my mornings because that's the only way I can tell myself that I have some sort of, like, control and I'm adult is if I micromanage my morning because I'm not a morning person. The morning anger is real. um, And I need my wall staring time. And, yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I... This is by far the best story that you have told me in a very long time. And that that, take, that takes a lot. I mean, honestly, because Aaron's stories are always wonderful. But also, I mean, I, I, as a not mourning person myself, I, too, understand that, like, that feeling of control over how my morning's going and getting all of the things done and the incandescent rage when someone or something prevents me from doing the things that I know this this sort of ridiculous um yeah Mm-hmm. like, series of events that have to take place in the order in which I want them to take place. Otherwise, I'm, like, I'm setting myself up for a bad day. I 100% appreciate that. I also appreciate that after a year, Paul's like, I'm setting the timer. I don't care what you do, but this this could be the thing that makes everything else work. And I just really appreciate that. I I do. I, I just that that is a supportive partner right there I think at my house had I like fought the timer if if I drank coffee um, I think that I I probably I know myself as a partner I would have been like you do you boo peace out I have done what I can do to help you but I'm done (laughs) the timer's there for a reason I don't know what to tell you (laughs) I love this